Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Remember way back in February, seems like another lifetime ago, a pet caretaker for Gaga, Ryan Fisher, who was shot and the dogs were stolen. He was sent to the hospital with four gunshot wounds and doctors were able to heal him, but he's still suffering and he's still suffering from the mental and spiritual and emotional toll the attack took on him. Well, he has launched a GoFundMe campaign. He says that all that time spent reclaiming my body, I now needed to be equally devoted to strengthening my emotional and mental health. Oh, okay. Now, he spent the last two months traveling the country in his 1991 Ford Falcon. But the car, according to him, is no longer usable. So he's asking for money to buy a new van and pay for travel expenses as he travels across the country to different healers and retreats to support the process growing from the trauma. And he posted a big Instagram post and he talked about saying goodbye to his car, Trudy, uh, the 1991 Ford Falcon, as I said. And uh, he said it drove like a boat in high wind. And so he's now struggling and he wants people to give him some money and he has a goal of $40,000 and he's produced a video on the road towards recovery with Ryan Fisher and he wants 40 grand. Well, as of this recording today, he's raised $27,842 and good for him. I'm glad that he's doing it and I hope that he gets the money he needs and I hope that he gets his van or his camper so he can travel the world and see the different healers and whatever else uh, he wants to do to help him grow from the process. But I just have one question, and it might be the same question that you have. Is Gaga just kicking him to the curb? I mean, you can't, I mean, I, I mean, I know she spent, you know, all the hospital bills and all that kind of stuff. I get that. And probably all the rehab and everything. So maybe she's like, okay, I'm done. But at the point of him wanting to travel the countryside and he's got his 1991 Ford Falcon, I mean, Gaga should be able to say, Hey, here's 40 grand, right? I mean, Gaga pees. $40,000. Come on. <laughs> it just seems like, uh, hey, lady, how about you give your boy Ryan, I don't know, 50 grand and tell him, hey, go travel the countryside and see different healers and retreats. And let's get that process of growing from the trauma back in gear. Okay. Okay. Then you take care. I love you. Instead of him hawking for money from you and me, uh, it doesn't bode well for Lady Gaga. I'm sorry. No. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Chewing the Fat. So I'm confused at this story. I'm not sure if they're saying it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. The headline is, Some white-collar workers are secretly balancing two full-time jobs and earning up to $600,000. 
I mean, that doesn't sound terrible. And they drop in and out of multiple meetings to avoid getting caught. Oh, okay. Um, there's a lot of people that work two jobs. And I'm not sure why they're trying to secretly drop out of meetings and avoid getting caught. Some white-collar workers are secretly holding down two full-time remote jobs. Oh, okay. I mean, if you could pull it off, I'm not real sure why that's a big deal. I mean, good for you. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand. They drop in and out of meetings to avoid or avoid them entirely. Oh, oh okay. So apparently people are holding down two jobs. Now, if it works against, if you're working for the same kind of company, you know, that are kind of, uh, uh, fighting against each other, you know, competitors, I guess that's an issue, but working two jobs, that was always a, a good thing. People in America did that forever. I mean, we're having a difficult time. People, you know, out there looking for jobs as it is, there's plenty of jobs to be had, but there's, that was always a good thing working two jobs and providing for your family. I just find, I just can't uh, make out whether they want me to think this is a good thing or a bad thing. It's a bad thing. The way they present it, that people are sneaking around and they've got to be careful what they post online. I mean, that's pretty much true anyway. And you know, the one guy that they interview in the story says he started applying for another job when he thought he was going to get laid off from his one job then he never got laid off and then he got the other job so he decided to uh you know keep both jobs okay but uh, it makes it sound like they're both in the tech industry so if they're competitors that may be an issue maybe you need to sneak around for that <laughs> and one guy talked about it might even been the same guy where he talked about taking uh, a month off after he started the new job he took a month off from the other job because the company had unlimited paid time off. Uh, that's a good gig. Uh, I would not give up that job. If your company is giving you unlimited paid time off, that's a good gig. Go ahead and get that. And you might as well work a second job on that one too. Because why not? <laughs> oh, why not? I mean, the people at Nabisco... They're on strike. They're happy with another job. I'll tell you that. And Oreos and rich crackers. Uh, let's get these men back to work. I'm, I'm sorry. Let's get these people back to work. They're not just men, Jeff. I know. I know. So according to this, the company wants to do away with workers premium pay rates for weekends and long shifts. All right. Well, the work stoppage and the 24-hour picket lines began uh, in Portland last week and have now spread uh, into Colorado and other production facilities around the country, like Richmond, Virginia. The workers are members of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain International Union. <laughs> the BCTGM. That's a powerful union right there. I bet you, I mean, they are worth a lot of money uh workers and union representatives say the strike follows years of frustration and we just have had enough and when nabisco products were spun off from craft foods they're demanding changes to pay and health care coverage that would undermine 
one of Longman's solid middle-class production and trucking jobs. Make the deal. I don't want to. We've got enough food shortages going on in America. We don't need any food shortages with Oreos and Ritz crackers, okay? We don't need that. Okay? Yeah. Let's make that uh, strike go away quickly. I mean, we're already talking about uh, how the food prices in July were up 31% from the same time last year. Um, That's a big difference. You know, we talked about the shortages and some of the products that uh, are gone missing at fast food places and other restaurants and grocery stores. But when you're looking at food prices going up 31%, and then you're looking at gas, uh, fuel prices going up, that's taking money out of our checkbooks right there, day to day, whether you want to admit it or not. It's just unacceptable. And I saw where uh, Kim.com, you know him, you love him, Kim.com. He is talking about the U.S. economy is going to collapse within a year. Hyperinflation has started. Get out of the stock market now. Exit the U.S. dollar. Turn your fiat currency bank accounts into crypto and gold. Ask to be paid in crypto and only use vendors that accept crypto. You know, that's, I, I mean, I love the sound of that. I don't know. Is it doable for everybody? Uh, I, I don't think so. It's, I mean, I hope if you can and you can survive, you go right ahead. But I don't know that that's doable for everyone. But, hey, you know, in the words of uh, Chewing the Fat, uh, good luck, God bless. <laughs> I, see, I remember we talked about uh, T-Mobile possibly being hacked. And they it was only 40 million former and prospective customers, plus the 8 million current users that had been breached. That's it, though. And they really didn't admit it. They said that they were investigating it. Oh, okay. Well, Vice was the one that uncovered the post in an internet forum, an underground internet forum that said this data was breached and that they were asking for six Bitcoins to give the information back. And T-Mobile said, hey, we're working around the clock to investigate these claims. And uh, these claims that are being made about the data that have been illegally accessed. So, you know, don't worry about it. We're not really admitting anything. Oh, okay. Well, um, I am a T-Mobile customer. Remember, I I mean, I told you that. I used to be a Sprint forever, and now Sprint and T-Mobile are together. Well, they sent a text to all of their customers, or at least they sent a text to my wife. Uh, T-Mobile has determined that unauthorized access to some of your personal data has occurred. We have no evidence that your debit credit card information was compromised. Right. We take the protection of our customers seriously. We are taking actions to protect your T-Mobile account, and we recommend that you take action to protect your credit. Read more, and they give a link here. Let's see what the link opens up to. The link opens up to what happened. Okay, all information. What happened? T-Mobile learned that a bad actor illegally accessed personal data. Our investigation is ongoing, but we had verified that the subset of T-Mobile data had been accessed and unauthorized individuals, and the data stolen from our systems did include some personal information. The latest details about the affected data available here. Exact personal information access varies by individual. 
Okay, we are relentlessly focused on taking care of our customers. All right, as we move quickly to protect you, we want you to equip to protect yourself. Okay. Uh, I would be changing all of our passwords uh, immediately. So if you're a T-Mobile customer and you did not receive that text from T-Mobile, I guess your information wasn't hacked. But you may want to take precautions anyway. Sure, there were other cyber attacks, you know, with the uh, Colonial Pipeline and the meat supplier, JBS. They had uh, cybersecurity breaches. And then there was the finance platform, the Poly Network, that was uh, breached by hackers. According to this story, Poly Network, okay, they breached a finance platform, the finance platform, the hackers, and they got $600 million worth of cryptocurrency. Then they returned it. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder why they returned it. Did they just do it out of their, the goodness of their heart? Did the poly network, uh, say, please, could you give us our $600 million worth of cryptocurrency back. And the hackers said, sure, here you go. Take care. (laughs) I mean, we've got hackers stealing stuff. You've got data being lost by just people who are, you know, doing their jobs, but doing it poorly. There's the big story in Dallas where the guy was scheduled for a murder trial. He was charged with murder and he was uh, released because uh, the district attorney wasn't ready for the trial because police data has been lost in the Dallas department's computer system. Oh yeah. So the district attorney's office reached out to the homicide detective on a Thursday of last week, I think it was. And he wanted to confirm all the evidence was available for trial and the, the police, the detective said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need a little bit more time to confirm that. And by the time the detective got back and there actually was evidence available for trial, it was too late. And the district attorney's office had to file a motion of continuance. And since it wasn't ready, the judge is like, yeah, okay, we gotta, we gotta get you law. We gotta get you out of here. That's the law. <laughs> So they're trying to find out what happened. Now, this information they had, but they've lost all kinds of information. So city information technology officers became aware of a problem uh, in April, but the police city IT departments decided, you know, we probably shouldn't say anything uh, because we don't want anybody to know. But they finally told the district attorney's office last week and they said, uh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we lost it. I guess prosecutors were trying to find some files. <laughs> and what happened to these files? Where where are they at? Yeah, it's just images, video, audio, case notes, and other information gathered by police officers and detectives. That's all, though. So apparently, a city IT employee was moving files, which had not been accessed for the previous 6 to 18 months. And he was removing them from an online cloud-based archive to a server at the city's data center. And the employee, according to this story, failed to follow proper established procedures and went ahead. The files were all deleted. Oh, 
right, no problem. Don't worry about it. I'm guessing that this particular IT employee probably doesn't work there anymore. And I would say that uh, don't put that on your resume. (laughs) That you worked for the Dallas uh, City IT department because, oh, you're the guy that uh, deleted all the case files for the police department and the prosecutor's office. Yeah. Now, you know what? We don't need you here. Sorry. Your time is up. But if you're a criminal and the Dallas Police Department had all of your information on your case and your case was in the last six to 18 months ago, uh, you may be, uh, you may be cleared uh, because if they can't prove anything, uh, let me out free me. All right, let's go to the break room. <laughs> I need something cold to drink desperately. <laughs> Oh, oh, so good. Speaking of criminals, I see where this uh, League of Legends player, this ranked League of Legends player, was arrested in China by an off-duty police officer. So apparently this League of Legends player uh, goes to an internet cafe and he logs on to play. And because he's one of the ranked League of Legends players, they make an announcement saying, uh, hello, this challenger is, is here in this internet cafe and he's challenging people on the League of Legends. And uh, there's an off-duty police officer that sees him and says, you know, that's a, that's a guy we've been looking for. <laughs> he's wanted in a civil assault case. So the only good thing about the story is that the cop waited until the game had finished to arrest him. I mean, if the cop was really a bad cop, right, he, he just arrests him right there. Doesn't even let him play his game. That might even hurt his rankings. We can't have that. All right, well, that was in China. Then let's go to France, you know, in Paris. So two suspects pulled off a jewelry store heist, making between two and three million euros away with all this jewelry there were no witnesses they came in they continue they came into the store the jewelry store no one was in the store and so they started deep pocketing all this jewelry and they got away for a little while i mean the story talks about how they pulled off this jewelry store heist but they really didn't because they ended up getting caught thanks to cctv footage huh the two mid-50s and mid-40s suspects were on a bus and the CCT footage, you know, followed them to the bus and where they got arrested. It doesn't say here that they got the jewelry back, but I'm guessing they did, even though the heist is being called mind-boggling, daring, unprecedented, and regrettable. And the robbery unit is now conducting a thorough investigation into the robbery. Well, um, maybe you didn't know what happened but the people that were working at the jewelry store weren't there because they were across the street at the eye doctors you know the optician's office across the street why did they just leave the jewelry store i mean there were other stores in the neighborhood too that were all empty because apparently 
Jean-Claude Van Damme and man, I mean, when he's in the area, you want to stop everything you're doing and go see him. He was trying on glasses at an optician across the street from the jewelry store. And so everybody that worked at the store was over there, you know, I and Jean-Claude, and they were not paying attention to the jewels that they were supposed to be uh, looking. They were looking at Jean-Claude's jewels not the correct jewels. And so I would say that they probably are looking for work as well. You just don't walk away from your job because Jean-Claude is trying on eyeglasses across the street. (laughs) And maybe you do it, you know, maybe you say, hey, I'll go over and take a peek. You stay. And then when I come back, after I've seen the Jean-Claude jewels, I'll come back to these jewels. And then you can go check out Jean's jewels as well but that's not what they did they were just too overcome with excitement and had to get over there and take a look at those jewels instead of protecting their own jewels Eh. you know yesterday we talked about carrie underwood uh, being in trouble because she liked a tweet and uh, just so you remember if you if you don't uh she liked a tweet from matt walsh i know the horror Well, today I see a story from Bob Saget. You remember Bob Saget? He's a comedian and he was on Full House and Fuller House and, you know, Mr. TV star. And so, a comedian. But apparently he's in trouble because he's been blocking people on his Twitter account. (laughs) You bastard. So he's apologized uh, to, he's apologized to all the people that he's blocked over the years and just can only let positive stuff in. Okay. Uh, If I could block myself, I would. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. (laughs) And so he's been sending heartfelt apologies to everyone, uh, by, because he was blocking them. It's your social media account. I don't understand it. If I follow someone, on Twitter and they block me. Oh, well, (laughs) man, I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be hurt. So I'm just going to be pissed at them for blocking me. Now I don't block anyone. Um, I, at, at Jeffy JFR, Jeff Fisher radio on Facebook and Instagram, I, I don't I don't block anybody. My, my wife tells me to block some people that are, uh, relentless in their, uh, in their tweets. But, um, I just feel like I don't care. Um, I scroll through Twitter and I look at what I want to look at. And if it bothers me, I, I just keep scrolling. And when I tweet something, I tweet something to the people that follow me. And I believe that Twitter shouldn't be shadow banning anyone. It should, if you are following someone and they tweet something, it should end up in your timeline. I shouldn't have to go directly to their account to see what they've been doing. And, you know, I know that the social media accounts uh, feel differently, but I disagree with them wholeheartedly. Uh, you should be able to just tweet or Facebook what you want. And I decide. <laughs> I know that's a silly, stupid thing. Thinking that people should be able to just choose for themselves what they, what they look at. <laughs> uh, 
I saw where Facebook removed a campaign ad uh, because uh, it linked to a story on uh, Fox News. Oh, okay. Why would they? Why would they do that? Well, Facebook said the post violated its advertising policy. Yeah, that prohibits ads that link to low quality websites. <laughs> Guess that's that Fox news website man that's that low quality fox news website (laughs) wow and i see where apple uh applied a list of terms censored now uh they had a list of terms that were censored in china well they've added those terms to taiwan and hong kong now too huh huh i thought those were separate entities and weren't under china (laughs) that was just silly Why would I be thinking that, especially after the whole Afghanistan debacle? Why would you think that we would stick up for Taiwan and Hong Kong over China? That's just dumb. Dumb. And I saw the story that said uh, Cuba makes Cuba makes it's uh, make it illegal to criticize government on social media. My first reaction to that headline, the headline Cuba makes it illegal to criticize government on social media. You mean it wasn't already? All right, just a few headlines to uh, let you know a few things that are going on around the world. According to this, almost 27 hundred houses in austin texas and i'm down in that neck of the woods quite often and they are building and growing like crazy so 2700 houses and i see that here in dallas fort worth as well but this stat shows that more than 2700 houses in austin or almost 2700 houses have sold for one hundred thousand dollars or more over their initial listing price <laughs> that is incredible. And I told you, my uh, my son, who lives in the uh, you know Austin neck of the woods, was uh, amazed at what they appraised his house at. And he was really thinking about slapping that for sale sign on it. But then he got to thinking about what are you going to do after, right? So you might as well just kind of try to ride it out at least for a little while. But we'll see. We shall see what happens with that. I see where three former Netflix software engineers have been charged by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for alleged insider trading. So apparently they've generated more than $3 million in profits from a long-running scheme. That doesn't sound like that much money. Uh, I, look, $3 million bucks. I could use $3 million more than you know. And it's a, you know it's a lot of money. I get it. But if you're going to do an insider trading scheme, it seems like you should be getting some money that, uh, you know, is worthy. Three million seems like uh, not worthy of a long running scheme. So apparently these guys were getting information about subscriber numbers, inside information about Netflix subscriber numbers and how they were going up against, you know, Disney and other companies. And they were uh, these the complaint Sung Mo J. Jun was at the center of a long running scheme. And look, when you hear the name Sung Mo J. Jun, I mean, 
criminal, criminal. <laughs> so he wanted to trade on non-public information concerning the growth in Netflix subscriber rates. So the complaint alleges that <laughs> the criminal Sung Mo Jun, you know, he calls goes by Jay, while employed at Netflix in 2016 and 2017, repeatedly tipped this information to his brother Jun Mo Jun and his close friend Jun Wu Chan who both used it to trade in advance of multiple Netflix earnings announcements. Okay, well, if this was just a year, then they made $3 million in a year. Uh, that's not bad. Then they decided to do the quick hit and run and make $3 million. I mean, Sung Mo Jae Jun and his brother Jun Mo Jun and his friend Jun Wu Chan, uh, you don't want to mess with them. They're criminal masterminds. So they had internal information that was disclosed to Netflix employees. And, you know, I mean, Reed Hastings puts all his stuff out there for all employees to be transparent. Remember he fired people because they were saying things online bad about their bosses. And he was like, no, you say it to their face. We talk about, we work that out in person. You don't be saying that stuff behind closed doors online. So anyway, uh, after Sung Mo Jun, uh, left Netflix in 2017, he obtained, he was still obtaining confidential Netflix subscriber growth from another Netflix insider, Aiden Lee, who, uh, you know, was just, <laughs> uh, you know, in cahoots with Sung Mo and allegedly traded himself and tipped Jun Jun and Chan in advance of Netflix earnings announcements. From 2017 to 2019. So there's even a couple more years in there. So now the 3 million is back down to being sorry. That's only four years and it was only 3 million. Seems like uh, weird. Anyway, uh, Netflix stock price more than tripled as the company expanded globally. Yeah. And it is still the leader in the streaming. It's got 209 million paying customers. I think it may even have more than that now. So apparently the SEC the Security and Exchange Commission, not the Southeast Conference, College Football Conference, said that its market... uh, I know, the SEC isn't just college football, Jeff. I got it. So they apparently uh, have a market abuse unit, and that unit uncovered the trading ring by using data analysis tools to identify the trader's suspicious run of success. So if you start doing good... On Wall Street, you're gonna, there goes the red flags, and they're gonna send the market abuse unit after you and start using their data analysis tools to identify that you're doing too good. You're making way too much money, and we don't like it. So we're coming after you. So Sung Mo Jun and Jun Jun and Chan and Lee have consented to the entry of judgments. If approved by the court, the judgments would permanently enjoin each from violating and charged provisions with civil penalties. So they could pay $72,875. Are they doing any time? Uh, like criminal charges, unlike indictment, it does not require a grand jury's note. So the judge could just say, yeah, okay, uh, pay 72000 and get out of here. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> now they did try to evade some of the uh, some of the problems because they say they uh, 
were using encrypted messaging applications and paying cash kickbacks. Well, yeah, that's the way it's done. You give me information, I invest, and I give you money back when I make money, and I don't want the world to know, so I use encrypted messaging. And if they made over $3 million, and they've only got they've got to pay seventy two thousand, almost seventy three thousand in penalties. That's a pretty good deal. Unlike the Ohio man who just pleaded guilty in a money laundering conspiracy, that uh, he moved more than three hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, you know, to help drug traffickers hide the source of their cryptocurrency. That's all though, and help other people. This uh, Larry Dean Harmon from Akron, Ohio, beautiful this time of year. He has agreed in part for this plea deal. He's going to surrender more than 4,400 Bitcoins, currently valued at more than $200 million. Where do they go? Who gets them? Does that just sit in the basement? I realize that Bitcoins aren't an actual coin, but who gets them? What basement do 4,400 Bitcoins sit in? Anyway, he uh, maintained a residence in Belize while he was doing all this criminal activity, and he faces assessment of a $60 million civil monetary penalty. I mean, take it out of the 4,400 bitcoins. How about that? And he hasn't been sentenced yet, but he faces a maximum of 20 years and put more potential fines of hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay. <laughs> so as part of his guilty, he admitted that his Darknet-based service, Helix, partnered with several Darknet markets such as Alpha Bay, Evolution, and Cloud9 to provide Bitcoin money laundering services for customers. All right. He was he running the company from 2014 to 2017, known as a mixer or tumbler of Bitcoin for a fee. They would send Bitcoin to recipients in a way that hid who was sending the cryptocurrency. All right. So anyway, he's in big trouble. Uh, no kidding. No kidding. 300, they're saying 300 million that he moved. They're surrendering more than 4,400 Bitcoins. And he's still going to have to pay money on top of that and go to prison. That's tough times for my boy from Ohio. He's going to be dreaming about being in Belize, I'll tell you that. Those of you not using the dark net, just know that MasterCard is getting rid of the magnetic... Magnetic? It's a magnetic strip on its cards beginning in 2024 as ah, those chips and contactless payments are going to replace the swipe. So we don't need the... We don't need the magnetic strip anymore. I mean, very few places use it, that's for sure. Only if you have a tough time. I go to one place in particular that the one card reader has a tough time reading cards. And so if it doesn't quite read it, then you got to try to uh, swipe it. But then the swipe has got to be reset. It's really weird. But fix the machine. That's all I ask. Just fix the machine. And they are. They're just going to get rid of the stripes all together. So make sure those readers stay clean. That's all I'm saying. And I see a report on David Sackler, the former president of Purdue Pharma, you know, the evil Oxycontin maker. Well, he was at his bankruptcy trial. And the report is, is that he testified that he wasn't sure how many people had died from overdosing on his company's painkiller. 
And of course, all the reports are 500,000 people died from 1999 to 2019 from opioid overdoses. How could he be so inconsolable and not know? Well, um, just so we're clear, all right, and I'm not a stockholder of Purdue Pharma. I don't know David Sackler personally, um, but I will say that uh, I'm pretty sure that every opioid overdose from 1999 to 2019 were not specifically Purdue Pharma opioid overdoses. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. So, I mean, when you try to make the guy look bad because he wasn't sure how many people died from overdosing on his company's painkiller, kind of makes sense. Just a tad. And if you're going to overdose on something, let's overdose on the new Girl Scout cookies, okay? I know. Now, their description of the Adventureful is an indulgent brownie-inspired cookie with caramel-flavored cream and a hint of sea salt. Um, okay. Adventurefuls take cookie lovers on a delicious taste, on a delicious taste adventure, just like Girl Scouts go on their own amazing adventures all year long. Girl Scouts across the United States will offer adventure-filled cookies next cookie season alongside favors like Thin Mint, Samoas, and Caramel Delights. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Bring them on. Let's have the old adventure fulls. In fact, why don't we just release them now? News from the president, uh, the president of the United States of America, he said that all nursing home staff will need to be vaccinated if their facilities want to continue receiving Medicare and Medicaid funding. Funny, that's exactly what we said would happen, and now it is coming true. You don't have to get the vaccine, but you're just not going to get any government money if you're not vaccinated. So we have over 168 million people. 51% of the total population in the United States are fully vaxxed right now. Now, we don't know how long it lasts. I know that we're getting our booster shots now, and we've gone over that uh, quite a bit here on this show. So the booster shots are going to get started September 20th. And if it's been eight months since your second shot, if you're fully vaccinated with the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine, no no news on the Johnson & Johnsons, whether they're going to wait. They're just talking about the mRNA vaccines. So, okay, no problem. And I was reading today, actually, <laughs> that talked about how it's this, there's no difference in the booster shot. It's the same as the one and two. So I guess, the, you know, you're, you're good. It's just another shot. Get over it. I will say, and I predicted it yesterday, and I still believe it. Uh, They say eight months now. If you're fully vaccinated with the Pfizer or the Moderna, and you are in the specific window of needing the booster shot, then you need to do that in eight months, right? So uh, I will say that that's going to change. They're going to, sure, you've got, you know, healthcare workers and the elderly and pre-existing conditions are high priority. And that will, that will begin September 20th. But I think by October, 
you're going to say, you know, we've gone, we've got the elderly, we've got the pre-existing conditions, we've got the healthcare workers. Why are we waiting the eight months? Let's go ahead. And if it should be, we need to get out in front of this. So four or five months uh, will be the number that they'll jump to first part of October. Just, just a guess on my part, just a guess. I see where they're talking about the Pfizer doses in Israel, 86% effective in the over 60 crowd. Okay. That's the third dose. So they found 86% effective in people aged over 60 in Israel with the booster shots. All right. I guess, I mean, they've, they've got, uh, 9.3 9.3 million in the population. They've got, uh, we'll see. They tested a bunch of people. They say it's good. All right. I don't know, whatever. Just give me the third shot. Is that where, is that where you're at? <laughs> Just give me the third shot. Get it over with. Okay. <laughs> we are, it's amazing. We have 51% of the total population vaccinated right now in the u.s and i don't think you're going to get much more than that i think you got to be happy with that 51 percent. i mean maybe you reach 60 percent. i was looking at some of the numbers of the positive cases showing up now and the spike is pretty pretty impressive and they don't see the spike reaching its peak until october so it could get a lot worse. And, and I, you know, I'm not talking about the death. I'm just talking about people being, you know, tested positive for COVID. And so, you know, the while it isn't as deadly, you're going to get more and more people testing positive. So if that happens, now you're going to be talking about, that's what I'm saying. If the peak isn't until October and they start the booster shots in, the, in mid-September, by the time we get to the first part of October and we haven't reached, we're already you know, through the roof with positive cases, they're going to want to get everybody that booster shot guaranteed. So they'll drop that eight month timeline down just to get everybody in that, in that window for that booster shot. Just a thought from chewing the fat, just a thought from chewing the fat. Everybody's making such a big deal about United Airlines duct tape memo. Um, I was reading what their, what their memo said. And it talked about uh, you're supposed to address situations calmly and to de-escalate situations as much as possible. Yeah. There are designated items on board that can be used in difficult situations that can't be de-escalated. Okay. Uh, To consult United Safety Manual to guide decision-making if a customer isn't behaving well. And to complete an incident report in the event things go wrong with as many details as possible. I mean, they're already doing that. I don't know what the big deal is. They're saying, I guess they're embarrassed by the duct taping. Uh, if you're out of control, I mean, I, do you still get tied down with zip ties or do they, is part of the uh, onboard difficult situation box? <laughs> is there a, a taser in that box? <laughs> we couldn't deescalate and down you go. I mean, I'd be okay with that. And people on airplanes aren't going to, don't put up with it anymore anyway. No way. They haven't for years. Um, since 9-11. No way. They're not going to... People aren't aren't going to put up with it uh, if you're out of control. Now, 
if the airlines and the flight attendants are out of control, then you create a bigger problem. And that's kind of what's happened. So I hope that they're looking at this de-escalation process as even a process for the flight attendants. That would be kind of nice. Maybe, just maybe, what they ought to work on is delivering people's suitcases and people's equipment safely and unharmed. One of the stories I was reading about was this Paralympic swimmer on his way to Tokyo was at Heathrow and he had his wheelchair that he was, that he uses every day. I mean, he's part of the Paralympics (laughs) and apparently he used, when he got on the plane, they took his wheelchair. Okay. So, which is weird. I don't know why, you know, look, the guy is a, a Paralympic swimmer, an athlete, and he's in his special wheelchair. I mean, one that's specifically for him and they don't let him put it on the plane. So, I mean, with him. So they took it, and when they gave it back to him, it was completely broken. (laughs) I mean, okay, aren't you a little bit careful with it? A couple things with that. I mean, he's right when he said, uh, my chair was destroyed, my chair is my independence, and they left me in this oversized airport chair, and that is degrading. Well... Um, you know, they did their best there could for him. And he said the Heathrow staff were very apologetic, but unfortunately an apology does very little for me. Well, no kidding. And, you know, they gave him a form to fill out as he was in the oversized airport wheelchair. A couple things with this. If you work for the airline, aren't you a little extra special care given? Don't you do that with somebody's wheelchair like that. You don't just treat it like you would the oversized airport wheelchair. You would think that. And second, if I were to be traveling with my special wheelchair, don't you, I don't know, have some kind of traveling case or, you know, fight to get it on the airplane. I just, I find it, it's just weird. The whole thing is really weird. I don't understand why, it would be treated so poorly by airline workers. But, you know, maybe that's just me. And actual good news, if you are fighting breast cancer and or going to fight breast cancer, which, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women are going to face breast cancer. Men too, Jeff. Okay, fine. But a team in Manchester in the United Kingdom uh, believe that aspirin, is going to help in breast cancer, in fighting breast cancer. They suspect that the aspirin's anti-inflammatory properties, rather than its analgesic effect, uh, gives the boost. And they're saying that it helps fight the aggressive breast cancer by making the hard-to-treat tumors more responsive to the anti-cancer drugs. All right, I am a fan of that. And aspirin has been a wonder drug for many years, and it looks like it's continuing to be a wonder drug. There's still, you know, further clinical trials of the aspirin. But, uh, man, if you have uh, breast cancer, you've been diagnosed with it, I personally know how horrible it is and the effects that it takes on the people and their families. So if they can find a way to fight this and or cure it, I am all for it.
Hey, one last thing. Um, Governor Cuomo from the state of New York, is his 14 days up yet? I mean, he said he was going to hang around and uh, he was going to resign, but it was going to take him 14 days. Has it been 14 days yet? I mean, if you're listening live today, it's the 19th of August, 2021. So I'm guessing it's actually, according to when he said he was going to resign, it's been like 10 or 11 days. What are the odds he actually leaves on that 14th day? Does he work the full 14 and then leave? Does he leave before the 14th day? Or really, does he leave at all? Ah, they still may have to drag him out. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.